Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers When you're listening to Battle Red Radio, I'm Matt Weston. And this morning, I'm joined by Carlos Flores to discuss the Texans 53-day man roster that came out yesterday and to celebrate a really beautiful and perfect Bill O'Brien day. How are you doing today, Carlos? Doing good. Nothing like talking football on a Sunday morning. Yeah, and we'll be doing this, I guess, every day from here on out, just about now. Um, but yeah, so Saturday, the Saturday before Labor Day is always going to be Bill O'Brien Day now. After last year when he traded Larry Tensel, or he traded for Larry Tensel, Kenny Stills, and gave up a first round pick, or two first round picks and a second round pick. And then he also sent Julian Davenport, of course, over to Miami too. And then that was also the same day when he traded Jadavian Clowney for Jacob Martin, Barcavius Mingo, and third round pick. And so. I'll always call that Saturday, you know, Bill O'Brien, uh, Bill O'Brien Day. And yesterday, I think we had a really great one. I, I liked everything that happened. It all, it all was very beautiful and like fit the exact idea of the the football playing war- world that I would like to be able to sit back and watch. Right. Yeah. It was uh, definitely an eventful Saturday. I mean, just tons of moves across the league, and you know, uh, it's a flurry. So the first thing that happened was that the Texans extended. Deshaun Watson and my personal inside source was you know correct. He's never wrong. And with Watson, he signed a four-year, $160 million extension. And he'll it will keep him in Houston until 2029. And it's one of those contracts where it's gonna the bonus money is gonna get tacked on to his existing salary. And they haven't come out with the figures yet that states um like how much his money's gonna be for this year and next year as he plays you know, as the bonus money are tacked into his rookie contract for his fourth year this year and his fifth year next year. In a sense, it's kind of like the end of uh, having Watts on a rookie contract like they had it. Yeah, and again, the contract was for four years, $160 million until 2025, whenever Watson's going to be, I believe, 30 years old, which will be near the peak of his career because quarterbacks do peak at age 31, uh, typically. And I think it was a great contract. Like, there's, I think handle, Houston handled it perfectly, and uh, no amount of money they could give Watson would be like, you know, too much, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm completely happy with the extension. I uh, I mean, I, I, I kind of knew it was coming Saturday and I, I slept in and I remember waking up and seeing all the notifications on my phone and thinking, dang, I missed it. And, uh, you know, looking over the numbers and stuff, it all it all makes sense. I mean, really, for me, at least. I, I wanted him to get it done before Mahomes' extension, but I guess that wasn't really a possibility. And um, luckily, it didn't play too much factor, I don't think. I mean, yeah, he's making more yearly money for that period of time, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I think uh, it completely makes sense. Um, there really isn't a price that you can put on Sean Watson and what he means to this team and this franchise. And it's really going to make a difference going forward, I guess. I, I even think for everybody else knowing that 
Deshaun Watson is at least secure in his position here. So maybe even in future uh, free agencies, you know, there's not going to be a question of is Deshaun going to be here, you know, by the time I'm finished with my contract. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll know that you'll have one of the premier quarterback talents in the league at your your disposal. Yeah, well, I guess that's kind of the hard thing about it, too, though, is that, you know, with Watson getting paid that contract, your free agency is going to be a lot more difficult to navigate. And uh, and so, like, Houston, I do think with last year – the year before in 2018 and you know this year that's coming up like these are the three best chances Houston had to win a championship since you know like week 7 2011 whenever Schaub got his foot torn up by Albert Hainsworth in that pile and of course like Hainsworth was signed that week you know and they were down by you know 28 points and everything else and um, they had like that perfect opportunity where you have a quarterback on a rookie contract and you saw what Kansas City did you saw Russell what would Seattle do with Russell Wilson the Rams are able to get to Super Bowl with Jared Goff getting paid, um, not very much at all. And there's been a lot, and like there's been a wide variety of other teams that have been able to pull that off. And so Houston had the opportunity with Watson, and then they were, I guess, I don't know, building for the future with Brian Gain for four months before scrapping that play entirely. Um, they had a, that really bad offense, you know, in 17 or in 18 that was just based around running the ball and controlling it and uh, being too afraid to put the ball downfield. And they didn't have like the best wide receiver talent. Uh, which was you know their own mistake, and they also didn't have the offensive line that they wanted to you know really kind of press, which was kind of their own mistake by their own mismanaging the offensive line that year too. And so like now like now it's it's building around Watson's contract when your quarterback makes you know forty million dollars a year, has a cap hit that high, is going to be entirely different than a quarterback with a con- with a cap hit of seven million dollars. And so Houston's set up to shed salary, like they can get rid of David Johnson after this year and Brandon Cooks after this year, and you know why variety of things, but. They won't have the same opportunity they had you know, years before. And another good example of that is what Kansas City did with Mahomes last year with how much money um, they're able to use in free agency to invest around him to win their very first Super Bowl. And so I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they try to do as they kind of like do everything back in reverse to try actually like have like a to get past the divisional round wall um, starting with this year. Right. But. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, there's not too much money that you can give Watson. Like, it's um, he have a cap at fifty million dollars a year. Be like, yeah, it's probably cost effective. He deserves that. It's reasonable because he is the um, the quaternity. He makes everything happen for this team. Uh, he's the best player in the division as well, too. And so, I'm really happy to to see everything that occurred for him. Uh, did you cry whenever you watched the press conference yesterday, Carlos? At- you know, I, I, I considered making a tweet about that, but I saw that everybody else had just already flooded the timeline, so I decided to keep myself. But yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I definitely shed a tear. It was uh, it was emotional. I mean, just, you know, Deshaun, he's <clears throat> probably one of the nicest dudes on the planet. Uh, he's been through so much. He's faced so much adversity. And, you know, knowing his backstory, or at least what's been reported on his backstory, uh, just seeing the the mountain that he had to climb to get to where he is today, and the odds, and you know, uh, just him being so uh, gracious and humble, and remember where he came from, and I mean, even Dabo popping up in that conference was a really cool little Easter egg mm-hmm. for me, and uh, you know, just really emotional, I think, for everybody. I mean, it's hard not to root for the guy. It's hard not to. Uh, you know, want to give him the world. And frankly, I think he's probably one of the few dudes that regardless of how much this contract costs, it it feels right, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's it really is like it's kind of like the entirety of it. It's like one of the things I kind of learned reading a bunch of season previews going into the 2020 season is that you know the most important thing is paying for the right player, not finding the most cost-effective player. And so whenever you pay a quarterback who's as great as Watson is, you know, there's no there's no limit to how much money that he deserves. And at the end of the day, like if you have every single piece in place, you can minimize the impact of the quarterback position. As Texans fans have seen, you know, in 16 and and uh, 14 and 15 and everything else. But whenever you don't have everything else in place, the easiest way to have a great football team is to have the quarterback position nailed down. And you know, Houston has that at least for the next uh, five years until 2029 or 2029 now, I guess. Jeez, it feels really weird to say that out loud. And uh, it feels like I'm saying that wrong by, by saying until 2029. Um, but yeah, so there, that, at least that position's taken care of. And you, after an entire decade that was wasted on guys like, you know, Ryan Mallett and name redacted and Brian Hoyer. Um, it's beautiful to actually like have that position in place and everything that worked out with Watson too. All right. Yeah. I remember whenever I watched a bunch of quarterbacks the year he was drafted, I was saying about this yesterday and, um, I felt that Watson was the best quarterback in that college draft class at that, or he's paid until 2025, not 2029. I'm very stupid and tired this morning, but going into that 2017 draft class, I felt that Watson was the best quarterback coming out like at that moment where, but it was just like, how can he get better? And where is the improvement going to come? And where's like the extrapolation, you know, out into the future. And that's the hardest thing about watching any sort of college video. It's like, you can figure out what a guy is right now, but you need to think about what he would look like later on. And so I thought, like, I, I love Kaiser and his deep ball. I thought Trubisky would continue to improve because you kind of get wrapped up in the idea of potential. And uh, and whenever Watson was, 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 whenever they traded to draft Watson, I was like, you know, I love Watson. I think he's going to be spectacular. I think it's a great pick, but I was like, why not just keep the first round pick and take Kaiser? And I'm very glad that they didn't. Rick Smith's a lot smarter than I am. And the right. way everything has worked out there for that, too. And I still like Kaiser. It's just funny that him going to Cleveland, I think, really kind of ruined his career. And maybe if he started off with that actual, instead of not playing for Hugh Jackson, maybe he would have had a better, um, a different career because of that, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember vividly that draft, uh, as ashamed as I am to admit it, I remember uh, pounding the table that Patrick Mahomes got got taken. Uh I was rooting for it. I was pulling. I mean, to me, it made sense. You know, the big arm, the, I mean, before all the no-look passes and stuff like that, it was just like, wow, this, like, look at this dude throw. And uh, I was pounding the table for the Texans to take him. And once the Chiefs nabbed him, I thought, it, you know, abandon uh, all who enter, abandon hope. You know, uh-huh. it's like, man, we, we missed our shot. And then... Uh, now that I think about it, when when I do rewatch and I, I watched the national championship live, that that last two minute drill against Alabama is probably one of the best stretches of football that I've ever seen. Um, and Deshaun Watson just has literal ice in his veins, and that that mm-hmm. provided me a lot of comfort after the fact. Yeah, it makes sense. It's um, I, whenever Mahomes, I like I watched him, it's like. I have no idea what to do with this. Like, I really don't know. Like, it was just, uh, it was too all over the place. And I think he went to the perfect team in Kansas City. And I think Watson went to you know, the perfect team in Houston. And it's been kind of fun to see how that worked out. Whenever that that season, I was able to go to the Super Bowl Media Day in Houston. And um, whenever I was, like, on, like, Media Row, 
the Chiefs guy was to the left of us, and he was interviewing interviewing Mahomes for like their Chiefs podcast. And I was standing next to Mahomes, and like you know, he's like six two, and I'm six six. I was like, this is the this is the guy, I guess, you know. And it's kind of funny <laughs> to see him from like him being next to me, being like six two, and then now being uh, like a lot bigger and stronger as an athlete, and being this uh, immaculate, you know, figure for the entire in the face of the NFL now. And it was funny seeing like a Chiefs website and they're interviewing him, and I think they kind of knew all along that he was their guy at that point and what they were gonna do. And um, it was just been kind of fun how that entire 2017 draft class has worked out with Trubisky entering year four and beating out Nick Foles too for his his spot this season as well. Right, that was uh, that was surprised to me. I really didn't expect Foles to uh, to take a back seat on that one. Yeah, I can't believe they gave up a pick to take on Foles. You know, <laughs> I thought that was absolutely absurd. And I think it's one of the situations where Trubisky will start for like you know six weeks or so, and he's a short leash and. He may even only start for two weeks. Who knows what they're going to happen? But I think they're going to play quarterback, you know, hot potato there um, throughout this year. But hopefully, you know, Trubisky's able to improve the season. I'm not expecting him to, but I hope he does. He's, you know, Foles is kind of bad. You kind of know what he is. He can get hot and uh, he's very inconsistent. But like, as far as like a play by play basis for entire of the year, they're pretty much like both kind of like bad quarterbacks, you know. And so, and, uh, at least with Trubisky, there's some like hope of potential and, you know, projection to get better, though. Right. So for the Texans cuts, um, I first off I'm gonna say like I liked everything they did yesterday. I uh, usually whenever we we do this podcast and talk about the team and write, it's a lot of like whining and complaining and you know a lot we're you know, a bunch of haters and losers and uh, and a lot of it's like you know ground most I mean all of it's ground in analysis and you know there's reasoning behind a lot of it. Um, but this is one of the one of the cases where like I think Houston did a really great job with everything they did yesterday by keeping players who are young with potential, even if they had some issues getting, getting them to produce on the field and uh, by like just getting rid of kind of like dead weight that even though they're, you know, tough, smart, dependable, they just aren't, you know, talented football players and you kind of know what they are at this point. Um, the first thing I want to talk about though, is they kept seven wide receivers as of right now. They kept Isaiah Coulter, Kenny Stills, Randall Cobb, DeAndre Carter, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, and Kiki Cutie. And I guess the plan is that they're going to probably put Coulter on injury reserve, probably put Duke AGO for an injury reserve, and then re-sign John Weeks, probably sign P.J. Hall. And then uh, they'll probably, there's talks that they may sign Brent Cavale as well, too, who's like Mike Devlin's, you know, personal uh, hero for whatever reason. And so I, I do think it's great that they kept Cutie because I wasn't expecting him to stay um, just because he hasn't practiced all year and him getting benched the year before. And them being able to unable to like either get them in the playbook or keep them healthy. And there's been, you know, like a whole tornado of just like sadness around the talent that he's shown, like the flashes he's shown in the field. And, and, and so by him like being kept on the roster, I think it's really great just from the fact that, you know, they're keeping talent there as somebody who's like young and talented who can, you know, maybe morph into being a competent slot receiver or, you know, whatever else. And it also, and, you know, even me saying that they could still trade him, like it's not, um, it's not like something that may not occur. Like they may trade him in week three, for example, once wide receivers get hurt and they know that he has talent. So why you're not getting anything back from him at least, but I'm glad that he's still in the roster. And there's at least the potential that maybe we'll see cutie playing consistently for foot fo- playing consistently in a Texans uniform, whether it's, you know, this year or next year, or probably the, or, or even if it does happen, it'll probably be the year after not even this year. Right, because when I saw Kuti making uh, making the roster, I thought 
it was a big surprise to me. I really didn't expect to see him uh, make the cut. I thought they were just going to wash their hands of the whole experiment and walk away from it. But what you said makes total sense that, you know, they'll probably stash him as depth. Um, I mean, maybe even put him in in a few packages um, in game, you know, handful of plays here and there. Uh, but I think you're right that once injuries start settling in, maybe he gains more trade value. I mean, with, the pandemic, who knows how things are going to go after two to three weeks. If, you know, we'll see like a like a Miami Marlin situation where a whole team mm-hmm. gets infected or, you know, maybe there's one guy out of the 53 and he gets on the on the field and, you know, there goes another 11 that's infected. So, you know, there there could definitely be some value there to get get a return on investment. Um, but I really do hope that now that he's made the roster, I hope that he gets out of the doghouse, you know, that he finds some playing time, that maybe they, they flesh out what they initially saw in him, that athleticism, that, um, you know, to be a spark plug for the offense, especially in this really uncertain time when it comes to mm-hmm. the wide receiver group. So, you know, I, I'm hoping for the best. Yeah, and I do think it's something, like, I think that's a good point that you mentioned, just having a handful of plays for him, you know. So rather than have him, like, have to learn the entirety of a playbook um, really well as a backup or somebody who plays, like, you know, five or seven snaps a game, you can use him in, you know, a jet sweep. Like, I mean, remember that play against Indy last year where they used him on a jet sweep and ran the option with him and scored a touchdown? And, like, bring him in for situations like that where you can really capitalize on his athleticism. And then even if it's, like, you go five wide receiver sets, get him out there and just have him run a drag route, you know? Because he's incredible at that. He's really good at um, taking advantage of space and getting yards after the catch. And so I do think, like, there's an opportunity if he does stand on the roster of season two. And, like, yeah, like, I don't I don't think cutting him would have been very smart because I think he would have been picked up pretty quickly. But maybe, you know, the Niners get desperate in week four if something happens to Debo Samuel where they trade, a, you know, like a, a fifth-round pick or a sixth-round pick for him. And that would be a lot better than getting absolutely nothing from him. Uh, we right. have a question from... Uh, Luke Beggs, you know, BRB, I guess, I don't know if he's alumnus yet or not, but he's still here in some form and fashion, professional video game writer now, and he asked, is Kiki Cutie just too, is too good to just release? And that's the way I kind of look at it. It's like, even though he's been you know inconsistent and frustrating, I just think the talent there um, is too good to just like outright give him up and not get anything for him if you're going, if you don't want to keep him on the roster. And I think he's also too good to not try to find spots to use him at all and then this one of the kind of frustrating things about brian sometimes where he just wants to find guys who uh you know fit his mold and he can you know count on whatever sense that means as him as a coach and then you kind of lose like the ability to to bank on some talent and stuff here and there and i think qd was an example of that and so I do, I do think this is a case for like he's just too talented of a player to to not make the 53-man roster right i feel very similarly because when i look at it i see qt like Talent to pick value, he's right there in a really interesting uh, kind of sweet spot where, I mean, you see first round wide receiver busts all the time and they get, you know, two to three years and they get cut and they move on to another team because, you know, it's a first round flyer and all that, all the prestige that comes with the round. But with Kuti being taken, um, you know, a little bit later and the kind of bang that he provided at tech, I think it really entices, um, it, it'll entice really any coach really to like, you know, low risk investment and potential high boom payoff. And I think Bill O'Brien has kept that in mind. 
and I think any other coach in the league would probably take a flyer on Kutsi if he hit if he hit waivers um, or if he got released, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I think it's one of those weird things where like his skill set is his talent level matches where he was drafted really really well and could he could easily surpass it if the cards are played right. And it's one of those things that can really keep you on a roster longer than you're supposed to be. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And like also like he's paid six hundred thousand dollars, you know, and um, he has a very low cap hit. But I think a good example of like a first round receiver is Laquan Treadwell. You know, a guy mm-hmm. was supposed to win down the sideline, never really did it. I think he had like four catches last year that were really spectacular, but that was the entirety of him. And uh, even after trying, you know, digs, they still didn't want to keep him around in Minnesota. And now he's in Atlanta, and he's one of the the nine first round picks in that offense down there. And so, like you know, those if if you have draft pedigree, if you've shown something in the NFL, it tends to give you kind of like a longer leash, or you can you'll find more opportunities here and there. And just kind of looking at the you know the roster cuts, like Dante Moncrief was still on a roster, you know, nine years later. Um, yeah. And so, like, is is as long as you've shown something, you'll continue to get chances, even if it may never fully work out. And I think you know, Cutie's at least there, and. He has the talent to be worth a chance. Um, another player who kind of fits this mold too is Kahali Waring. Uh, my own personal, you know, I'm a, you know, I ha- he's a he's a personal hot thro- heart throb for me. Every time I see pictures of him, my just heart just you know flutters and takes off like up to the moon. And um, he's another guy who's just like he's just talent and he's uh, potential. And like in San Diego State, he was really great at getting uh, like blocking in double teams. He could run posts. He can run curls. He could attack the seam, and he can do the things that the Texans don't currently have on their roster. You know, like I think Aikens could be a good like seam receiver. They just haven't used him like that, and most of his production has come off of your dump offs, and, dump offs, and drags, and getting yards after the catch, and like getting into space over Watson scrambles. And then Fellas is just like a he just boxes he boxes the guys out in the end zone and runs that stupid you know zone drag thing. But he doesn't stretch defenses downfield at all. He's not a very good blocker either. But I think with Waring, like he's the first, he's the only time they have in the roster who has the potential to be an all-around really good tight end. And um, and there is concerns that he may not make the roster. They would pick Jordan Thomas instead. And I like Thomas, but even though he's big, he can't really block very much. And I was hoping they take four tight ends, but even though they only took three, I'm glad that they kept, uh, you know, Waring over over Thompson in this case, or over Thomas in this case. Um, so w- how happy were you whenever? You saw Warring was going to make the final 53. So I saw Warring made the 53 right after they announced that Jordan Thomas was getting released. And to me, that was a really big surprise. I really, really, really thought they were going to take four into the season. Um, uh, mainly because it was just such a like unknown between Thomas and Warring, you know, uh, how those two were going to shake out. So I figured they would just take both. But, um, you know, I, I am glad that Warring still here because you know there's a lot of unexplored potential there i think i i would love to see him come into a game and you know show us something and at least get get a visual on him because everything so far has been in practice and uh you know for the most part but with warring i think it's an interesting uh idea to bring him in as a third you know uh run him limited and you know give him some a few plays maybe two to three plays a game to see if he can uh do something uh, in passing situations. I mean, ju- just to flash something that warrants, you know, getting him some more playing time. Because I think in terms of Fells and Aikens, they are solidly one and two this season. I don't think there's any room 
uh, for anybody to be taken over. But, you know, maybe Fells is going to age out soon and, you know, we'll need a new number two and Warren could possibly fill that spot if he shows enough. Um, Because I think if it came down to it, Aikens would still be number one. But I I am pretty happy that uh, Kahale's still here and I'm sure, you know, once he found out that he was making the roster, he did a keg stand, you know, at home and, (laughs) uh, you know, he's probably having the hooting and hollering and having the time of his life yeah yeah uh whatever whatever stuff chad warren does i don't know i don't know enough about about like whatever his personality's like to really have any idea what he would have done afterwards maybe he went for went surfing or went and played some water polo um but i do think like i think fellas's touchdowns will regress this year for sure and he wasn't even that good of a blocker and i i know like it's hard for tight ends when they come to the nfl because they have to learn the run blocking game the pass protection game and the and the receiving game, so they have to know the entirety of the playbook. It's like kind of being a quarterback in that sense. And so whenever tight ends usually take like you know two years or so to fully like understand their role and understand the offense to be able to have success. And so I'm not expecting like Warring to be um, you know a starter this year at all, but I think he could be a starter next year. And I think just like even bringing him out there, like you mentioned with you know QD as well too, just having the ability to just like know a handful of plays, whether it's like yeah, okay, we're going to run, you know, make whatever, you know, the EP system where they have, you know, a play call for the left side, play call for the right side, and then just bring him in for route combinations that stretch the seam. He just runs, you know, seams, curls, and, or seams, posts, and uh, and corners, and just come in and bring him in there like that because the middle of the field should be something that they have the ability to bank on with um, with Cooks and with Fuller split out wide, and then the safeties having to cover more towards the sideline. And like Cobb and whoever's playing tight end should have the ability to you know, really attack the middle of the field. And so those throws should be available too. And I think Warren is just better than Aikens and Fells already at running those routes. Um, even though he hasn't played in the NFL just yet, just going based off his college video. So I don't know. Regardless, I'm really excited. This is the only thing I really cared about yesterday was making sure that Warren made the roster. And um, I'm excited that I'm ecstatic that he did. And uh, I can't wait to to watch him play this year, even if he's probably only be you know playing 15 snaps a game or so. Right. So offensive line wise, the big surprise was that the Texans cut Greg Mangson. I guess the surprise wasn't really his play because he was bad last year. You know, Kenneth mentioned in the in the email thread, like if you just checked his sack tracker that he wrote, I think Manx was credited for like seven sacks or so. And you know, Manx had a rough year whenever he came in and uh, and play on the interior at times. But I did think he was going to make the team just because he can play guard and center and back up Nick Martin if something happened to him. And so I guess the plan now is that they're going to have um, Zach Fulton play backup center, and then they kept, um, and then Sharping will still sit there at guard. Maybe they move Tyus Howard to guard if anything occurs. But their offensive line depth right now is Nick Martin, Max Sharping, Senio Calamente. So I guess if something happened to uh, Nick Martin, they would just move Fulton to center, put Calamente at guard, and they kept Laramie Tensel, Tyus Howard, Robert Johnson, and Charlie Heck at the tackle position. Um, you were surprised also whenever the Texans were late Manx yesterday, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in my prediction, I went with Manx uh, as a lock to backing up Martin. Um, and now that she spoke it out loud, I can kind of see where they're going, you know, seeing Fulton coming in and playing center. Uh, I mean, Rivers uh, said, said so enough that he had been practicing as a backup, so uh, Fulton shifting in in case anything happens, and then uh, maybe Kelmet coming out that that makes more sense but i still would have appreciated the depth you know and i think 
What are we at? Two, four, six, seven, eight. Okay, so we still hit the eight, the magic eight number. But at the same time, I feel like with offensive line, it's one of those positions where you could always use a little bit more depth. And yeah, you know, Manx may not have been the most ideal candidate, um, you know, for uh, for what he was responsible for. But at the same time, you know, it's a backup spot. They're, they're not expected to be the greatest in the world. And they're mm-hmm. replaceable, of course. I mean, we could always go take a late round flyer on somebody next year and, you know, swap them out. But I think going into the season, especially a season where we don't know how injuries are going to work with uh, with infection and all that. So it, it is a little concerning, and especially since the offensive line are probably closest proximity to anybody else um, on the field most of the time, uh, pre-snap and at snap. Uh, it is a little concerning that they, they got rid of Manx, but you know, I guess they have some sort of plan behind it. Yeah, yeah, I never think the plan is just to put Fulton there and then put Calamente at guard, you know. that And that's kind of the things about this whole COVID thing, too. Like, I don't really understand. I think, like, because they're tested so often, the concern is that, you know, somebody gets it and then you don't know. And then, they're like, they're back in the locker room or whatever. But I think, like, on the games, I think, like, once everybody's tested, that kind of alleviates just about all concern of, uh, of it spreading on the field, you know. It's just getting from practice and getting from the flight, you know, without without care, without picking it up to the field, you know. And so I don't really have, like, whenever the, the games start, I really don't have very much concern about it kind of spreading around at that point. But what do I know? You know, I'm not an epidemiologist, and uh, I haven't taken a science class since I took, like, astronomy, and uh, like, seven <laughs> years ago, you know. So I don't know. I'm not really expecting it to be that much of an issue whenever they start playing. Um, but as far as like how close they are to, to different players and that whole sort of thing, but it is going to be kind of bizarre to see, you know, like 5,000 people in the stands. And it was kind of funny watching like brief bits of college football, just kind of passing around the world and seeing TVs on here and there and seeing like people kind of next to each other and, um, uh, seeing like these kind of like high school, ga- like it's like watching a high school game in a big NFL stadium kind of, uh, oh, with the right. crowds there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so offensively, that was kind of, those were the two big things that occurred. You know, they also kept Jalaspia, which he's going to play, you know, fullback, whenever they actually use a fullback. And I would kind of like to see that zone read play run with Jalaspia instead of Fells because he can at least, like, make a block like he did in the wildcard round against um, the Buffalo Bills on that, you know, zone read that Watson scored on. And, you know, the wide receivers, everything else is kind of the same here, too. So I don't know. I think, again, I like to what they did on the offensive side of the ball. Defensively, the really kind of weird thing here is just defensive line depth. So they released Angelo Blackson and look, the Blackson sign was bad when it happened. He can't rush the passer. He's an average run defender and you don't pay an average run defender $4 million a year. Like it was stupid. They did it. He's not that great of a player. It was a bad contract. It made sense. He was released. Um, but the weird thing is though, if you look at the Texans roster right now, and this is just based off the positions that they have these guys labeled at, they have one defensive tackle on Ross Blacklock. They have one nose tackle on Brandon Dunn. And they have four defensive ends in J.J. Watt, Carlos Watkins, Jonathan Greenard, and Charles Omenehu. And so it's just like, I don't know where the where the defensive line depth is, is going to come from. You'd expect that they would keep like, you know, two or three uh, defensive tackles and guys who can defend the run somewhat. And they're probably going to bring P.J. Hall in the roster after they do their IR manipulating. But the, the defensive line depth here is really kind of bizarre, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, looking at it, actually, P.J. Hall technically is 
on the roster. He's just on this really weird uh, gap on the page. Like yeah, it just says page. player on there. I don't fully understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, what's going on there? But, I mean, I'm confident he'll be back. Um, but e- either way, defensive line depth is a little finicky. Um, you always want a little bit more. I think it's, again, one of those positions where you can't ever really go wrong with having too much. And, um, I mean, sure, losing uh, Blackson definitely wasn't the best, but um, I do still see Grenard uh, playing out further. And uh, this interior defensive line depth is a little bit concerning right now, especially, um, you know, behind JJ. I mean, considering that he hasn't had a healthy season in how many years, and, you know, I don't want to jinx anything, but realistically looking at it, we're going to probably see some some gaps here and there in his playing time and having only, you know, one to two guys that can maybe step in and, and work his spot is, uh, concerning to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Cause I don't think I've ever seen him play like a lot where he doesn't like miss time here and there, you know, it's not like he has a nagging hand injury that keeps him out or whatever. It's like, Oh no, I'm gone for the, the rest of the season. Like every single injuries has been cataclysmic. Um, but yeah, like I think, I don't know. The only my biggest thing about the defensive line depth here is that Watts gonna have to play every snap, you know. And he's gonna do what he did last year, where he plays defensive end in their three four defense. And if somebody pulls at him, he's gonna move out of the way and not take on big hits and play, try to defend the run like as uh, as I guess like as nicely as possible, you know. And so All I'm right. expecting it's gonna be him and Omanehu at defensive end starting, and then you'll see you know, Brandon nose tackle. And then you'll see Blacklock and uh, Watkins, you know, come in here and there at the defensive end spots, too. Because I don't think Blacklock, he's not a nose tackle, you know, at the NFL level. As great as his pad level is, he doesn't have the the size, you know, to really, like, sit there and deal with big double teams like that. Um, right. But, yeah, the depth here is concerning. Like, again, the Texans kind of made a decision this offseason that they're going to invest in the offense again for whatever reason. And their defense is going to be as good as Watt is healthy. And whenever Watt goes down... They're going to have one of the worst pass defenses in football. Um, I think the run defense is even going to drop to average next year instead of being, you know, one of the best in the NFL like we're used to seeing or even last year whenever it was still at least dependable and, uh, and, and like above average even without Watt on the field. And I think a lot of the numbers are kind of skewed just being uh, just like the run situations that occur and some big runs they gave up. But uh, I'm not really – I really don't – like it's just kind of like sad to look at the front seven talent in this team compared to years previous. Right. It's uh, it's not quite as robust as it used to be. I mean, having DJ Reader at one point, you know, and letting him go, that that's tough. And I just think back to the days of, like, Antonio Smith and J.J. Watt and, you know, the Wrecking Ball crew. And it's, uh, it's definitely a little bit hairy now. It's a little bit more murkier. You know, we're banking on some guys taking ginormous steps up. And, you know, producing when they haven't really quite produced in the past. And that that's part of development. That's part of potential. But it's a lot to ask of these guys to uh, come in and, and be these superstars or be these, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden starting caliber players when they've never shown an inclination to do so before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think Watkins is a great example of that, too. Like Watkins has been bad, you know, his entire career so far. And uh, maybe he learned something this offseason or got stronger this offseason. I don't know. But um, he just has never been good. And, like, I think you're right about Greener, too. Like, he's an outside linebacker. He's like Whitney Merciless. And 
I really don't expect him to play very much defensive in either. And I like Omane, who is interior pass rusher, but him playing like red and defensive downs concerns me just because he won't his like he won a lot by bull rushing. And the great thing about him coming in here and there is that he's fresh and able to really like bring a great bull rush every time. And he may not have the same ability to do so playing the run every down. And you know, he was bad against the run last year too, especially whenever they pulled against him. Like he got washed out over and over and over again against all like you know counter plays or dart plays or um, right. power plays as well to your trap. Um, then uh, their thing here, so at cornerback, at linebacker, they have nine linebackers. They kept Adams. They kept Edgio Ferzing going IR. They kept Callum Bailly. Um, you know, it's Scarlett, Jacob Martin, Merciless, Cunningham, McKinney. And so, like, they have a lot of linebackers here, too. And, you know, keeping Adams and Callum Bailly are fine. Uh, keeping Cole are fine. I don't have very much to say about them. The interesting thing, though, for the defense is that cornerback – because they kept Bradley Roby, John Reed, Lion Johnson Jr. Jr., Vernon Hargreaves III, Philip Gaines, Keon Crossan, Gary Conley, Cornell Armstrong. And so, like like you mentioned about defensive line play, where it's like you can never have enough pass rushers. You can never have enough cornerbacks as well, too. And so I think Houston has is taking the same approach they took last year at the cornerback position. We're like, well, we have a lot of corners. Uh, most of these guys aren't good, but just because we have a lot of them, we can keep just, like, throwing guys in here and out, here and there, in and out, in and out, in and out, and hopefully find some sort of rotation that sticks that will work. And um, they really went with uh, quantity over quality uh, once again this year, too, at this position. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, with the with the concerning depth at uh, interior defensive line, we have seven cornerbacks. Uh, Cornell Armstrong was a huge surprise. It came out of left field for me. Uh, very surprised to see him here. And it really seems like they have training camp depth on the final roster when it comes to you know, like competition depth at uh, on the final roster when it comes to cornerback. And I think, you know, it's going to be a lot of let's throw all this stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Um, you know, somebody has a lapse in judgment on a play, immediately yanks him, throws another guy in and tries to see if he can he can manage to be mistake free and. I mean, sure, we've got some uh, potential special teams players here, but uh, at the same time, I think it's a it's really heavy on the cornerbacks this time around, like very heavy. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I've never watched Cornell Armstrong play. You know, Crossin was like a fine special teamer, um, and we talked a lot about the cornerback position whenever we did the the preview for this the Texan season preview, which you should go back and listen to if you haven't listened to that yet uh, with right. Rivers McCown. And also when we talked about the the predictions for the 53-man roster as well too. Like it's it's a lot of, there's so many issues here and I don't know, maybe they'll find something that works. But again, like even that doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is J.J. Watt staying healthy because he's like a below average pass defense in and of himself. And uh, without him, this is even one of the past, one of the worst pass defenses in football. Um, really kind of regardless of whoever they did for whoever they kept to the cornerback group. And it just kind of comes down to the decisions they made the year before and um, who they drafted in, in this year's draft. The last question I have for you on defense, though, and you know, special teams, they kept Fairbairn, they kept Anger. Um, but for you know, like the third the third safety position, so like, are you excited to see A.J. Moore kind of fill that role that um, you know Adai played last year at whenever he came in? I guess like he played there pretty much throughout the year last year, but that third safety role where he comes in blitzes and covers tight ends, um, do you think he can have some success at that role? Right. Uh, 
you know, I had Watkins initially making the roster and Moore took the, took the spot. To me, it's not really that huge of a difference. But, I mean, I'm... It's... Uh, no matter what, we're always going to have trouble covering tight ends. I mean, it's just... It's it's Texans, like, culture at this point. Uh, so, if he comes in a package and it's his job to man a tight end, sure. Uh, fine, whatever. Just try to do try to do your best job but uh, uh i mean I, i'm pretty indifferent about it to be completely honest with you because i think uh justin reed is probably you know going to be playing back i i know you don't care much for the idea but i think he's going to be playing back and we'll see murray down closer um, mm-hmm, i agree with that and uh, i mean more coming in in a pinch it's i just hope to see as little as uh, the backup uh, safety players as possible. You know, let let him make an impact on special teams. Michael Thomas is a great special teams player. Um, I'd love to see some flash plays there, but in terms of uh, at the position, I'm. I mean, I, I know I've seen some analysis on Twitter here and there that you know AJ Moore has a lot to him, and uh, more than a backup safety spot would indicate. And I hope so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am not as. <laughs> I'm not as uh, football educated as some of the other guys or other analysts around, so I'll take their word for it that there is more there. But uh, this season, you know, I just... If he comes in, makes a flash plan, and can cover a tight end, great, great. If not, then, you know, try to make a try to make a dent on special teams. Yeah. Well, I, and I think also, like, he hasn't shown anything that warrants that. It's a lot of, you know, reading what those beat writers have said about his performance this training camp, you know, but he hasn't really shown very much like on a, on like a, as a defensive player yet. Cause he's, he's really unknown. Like, so who knows what happens with him? Uh, but it'll be interesting. I know Cornell played a, a lot of three safety looks, Like he loved to use three safeties. And so I wonder how much of it they're going to do this year with Anthony Weaver as the, as the defensive coordinator. But in years past, like if Cornell was still a defensive coordinator, you'd expect for more to play a good bit, um, as a third safety. And so without with Weaver here, who knows what they're going to do at that spot too. Um, but so do you think Bill O'Brien has any other big moves up his sleeve? Or do you think this is going to be kind of the roster as the Texans get ready to play Kansas City uh, this Thursday? I can't see Bill O'Brien making any other significant moves that he wouldn't have already made. I mean, seeing some of the players that were cut around the, around the league, uh, probably one of the more surprising ones to me, actually was uh, AP um, getting cut by the Washington football team, mainly because Darius, you know, uh, Geese, Geis, or however you pronounce it, um, what happened with him, and he's no longer on the squad. It basically opened the door, took the pressure off of the back of his neck to say, you know, don't worry about it, you'll start this year, and I guess it's not the case, and he's landed wherever he's landed. I can't remember where I saw it this morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, that, that was one of the more surprise cuts and I know people were talking about Fournette possibly coming through and I mean Peterson's a completely different uh, prospect at this point he's aging he's uh, past his prime and he signed uh, the Lions today too which I understand the Lions at all right there we go and uh, you know I don't I wouldn't I would have advocated for Fournette more than uh, AP but I still don't think either of them really fit what we're trying to do on offense mm-hmm. I don't see any splash players still available that would really make sense or make that significant of an impact on the team this year. You know, they've kind of, uh, that, that windows I think came and left. Uh, 
especially with the signing of, you know, who. Yeah. Well, I, I do think with O'Brien, like, the potential is always there for him to do something absolutely absurd and, you know, insane. And uh, that's kind of one of the good things, I guess, about them having not very, not a whole lot of draft capital left, where it's like you don't really have to worry about him, you know, all of a sudden giving up a, a big pick for, you know, cornerback because they're desperate at that position, you know. So I don't know. I can still see them do something, but I don't really, I don't see any moves that make sense at all, you know, for them right now. But that has never stopped this team at all before. Um, yeah, I mean, the big, the biggest news yesterday, though, and the thing I really want to talk about is Jadavion Clowney signed with the Tennessee Titans on a, I guess it's one year, $14 million. I think that's what I saw. It's either, it's either 13, 14, or 15, one of those two. Uh, but it's pretty much the same sort of contract you have with the Seahawks last year. And uh, I'm so excited for this. Like, the Texans-Titans rivalry doesn't really exist, like, on the field. The rivalry is a bad man took their bad football team and moved them to, you know, a different city in the 90s. Like, that's the extent of it. Like, if the the biggest moments of this rivalry was a fight that didn't even matter about the actual game between two bad teams at the time when right. Johnson fought uh, Finnegan. And I guess last year, you know, whenever... Like, last year is, like, really the only great game I think you can really point to between these two teams whenever Houston beat Tennessee and Nashville to kind of sew up the AFC South and have the ability to win it the following week against Tampa Bay. And, like, Lamar Miller had that 99-yard touchdown run, and uh, Fitzpatrick threw four touchdowns against them. And, you know, Houston-Tennessee Week 2, 2014 was a fun game. Or um, Week 2, 2014 was a fun game because it was, like, the like DeAndre Hopkins, like, first, like, really great game he's ever had as a pro. And uh, they won that game in overtime and all that sort of stuff. But it's like there there hasn't been any like real meaningful, important games. And I think with the Clowney signing, like there's some actual like hatred now and some vitriol. And uh, I don't even know if I can even if I even said that word right or not at all. Uh, but uh, I know what that word means whenever I read it. But it looks <laughs> like you actually have some like there's actually something there now, you know, with Clowney and his getting his revenge with Mike Rabel being over there between two teams that are going to be competing for you know, the AFC South this year as well, too. And uh, I'm so excited. Like, this is the best spot for him to go as a player, I think. And this is also, like, the the most fun spot for him to go to, even if you're a Texans fan who just cares about the Texans winning. Uh, it's at least going to be an actual rivalry and some actual hatred there now, though. Right. I totally get where you're coming from that. You know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the circumstance behind the Texans Titans rivalry is largely um, in the background, you know, off the field stuff uh, for the most part, stuff that has nothing to do with the actual game of football. Um, you know, we, we both make fun of each other's misadventures and failures. But for the most part, whenever it comes down to divisional matchups, there's never really been that much gas on the fire, I'll say like mm-hmm. anything too exciting. And with clown signing knowing that it was coming down between the saints and the uh and the titans and and a lot of people were saying that oh there's other calls and other teams in the mix it's like well usually it's the it's the top two that are really under consideration whenever jackson said they're monitoring the situation it's like just shut up (laughs) nobody cares about y'all 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 are y'all punted your entire season away and y'all are not going to give Minshew a chance at all and try to draft a quarterback one overall next year Right, exactly. It's like you're giving away half your team, but you want to bring in a premier player for whatever reason and pay him uh, exorbitant amounts of money. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the Titan signing Clowney, as a football fan, as a person who loves seeing 
uh, impactful football. It's great. It's going to be great. Uh, you know, I know uh, you said that Brabel and Clowney go together like PB and J. I I agree. They they really seem to enjoy each other. Um, but as a Texans fan, for me, it is very concerning to see another premier talented player enter the division. But you know, it's just going to make for more interesting games. I mean, sure, the homer in me wants to just scream that, you know, my God, don't let Deshaun get hurt or don't let, you know, Clowney end up whipping one of the tackles on a on a rush and have a wide open shot. Uh, but, you know, I think it, it will make for a more entertaining divisional matchup uh, this year mm-hmm. or, uh, 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 yeah, division games this year. And I'm excited to see actually what he does against everybody else. Um, you know, especially <laughs> with the Colts offensive line. I'm really yeah, excited I mean, to see how he handles that. And I mean, Jacksonville is just going to be a field day for everybody involved. So I think we'll see him probably put up like a five, six sack game against, uh, you know, sacks. Well, he won't, he won't get the sacks though. It's going to be Jeffrey Simmons is going to get the sacks, you know, oh, yeah, he's only, he's only have like four player. this year. Yeah. yeah and it's, player. It drives me absolutely insane though his sack numbers, especially that in ever whenever in seventeen when he had nine and a half sacks. It's just like come on man, like just get that get that ten because I want to stop hearing about this. Um, but also like you know Tennessee now has Harold Landry, Vic Beasley, Simmons, and Clowney as their base defense whenever they rush the passer, and yeah. I think the Times could actually have a like a, a fringe top ten pass defense where they're always like twentieth or so in DVOA. I think they could be like 10, 12, you know, 11, you know, 14 or whatever. And that's an enormous difference for them, um, too. So, I don't know. It's going to be fun to watch him go against Tyus Howard and Zach Fulton and um, and Laramie Tunsil, whatever he gets the opportunity to do so as well. And uh, and just like the amount of hatred and going back and forth is going to be so much more fun to see this year than if you went to, you know, the Saints, for example. And so I can't wait for it. I, I think it's it's the best thing to happen for the 2020 season and tech Houston. So Houston's playing Tennessee week 17 in January and in a perfect, beautiful world, it would be AFC South championship week 17 clowning going back to Houston. And then also this whole COVID thing is like gone, you know, and there's yeah. a vaccine out there you could actually have like 70,000 people there for that game. And so I'm kind of, I have it on my calendar right now. I'm kind of eyeing it and I, and I have hope and uh, I, I really do kind of, think it we could actually be able to go to that game and so if it does happen if the world is able to open back up by january like i i would for sure 100 percent go but that's uh me being way too optimistic but i would like to see that occur that'd be you know the absolute perfect narrative where if each team is like nine and six playing for the division title week 17 like that oh yeah absolutely i mean something high stakes like that and then meeting up again potentially in the playoffs would be absolutely be poetic almost and you know the national media would hate it because they hate covering the afc south and you know uh keeping that balance off the coast but i think it would be a fantastic story <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. um i mean it's definitely like Penn- a it's definitely like a storybook thing you know what i mean it's right. like a it's like a little girl like imagining her dream wedding one day like that's me pretty much imagining <laughs> uh, Cloudy coming to Houston week seventeen you know and I love the AFC South it's so stupid and, and beautiful and uh, the rest of the people who only care about like the Steelers and and Patriots and whatever else you know they they can all go to hell because it's <laughs> the AFC South is it's like it's the dumbest most fun division in football even if it doesn't produce the best football. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's the wild, wild west. But, like, if everybody had squirt guns instead of real guns. Yeah, and bad quarterbacks usually is how it goes. Um, <laughs> also, I do think, so my, I wrote that AFC South preview. I picked Houston win the division, mainly because they have Deshaun Watson. I would switch Tennessee and Houston now. I would pick the Titans, probably go 10-6 and six and win the division. Indy to be the first, be the second wild card at nine and seven, and then Houston be the number seven seed at nine and seven. Um, after the after the clowning signing occur, because I think the Titans are gonna have like one of the five best run defenses now at least, and then as a pass defense, I think they have a fringe top ten one. And I do think like I think their offense is gonna regress some, but it also whenever you remove those you have four Mariota games and the red zone touchdown rate won't be the same there. But I do still think like this could be like a at least a it's going to be an upper half offense, you know, and they don't really have any holes at all. And uh, I think that they're kind of like they're kind of built similarly to the Colts and the fact they don't have really have any holes at all. But they are at least dominant certain things where so they're dominant stopping the run. They're dominant running the football. They're dominant with play action passing. They're dominant at, at hitting shots downfield. And so I think that's what what's going to be the difference in the division. And I think Clowney really moves the needle that much. And I'm probably overestimating the impact he's going to have. Um, by my own biases, by how much I love him as a player. But that being said, like I do think this is this kind of has flipped where Tennessee and Houston will land this year in the AFC South and in the playoffs. Yeah, I do think um, Clowney is one of those players. I mean, like you said, uh, the the numbers just don't reflect the kind of impact that he has as a player on the field. And I think he is enough to swing. You know, on a, on a really potent defense, he's he's that kind of player to take a good defense and make it great. Um, and looking at the Titans offense, if they're, if Derrick Henry can pick up where he left off and keep on choo-chooing through, you know, opposing teams, defenses, mm-hmm. I think, I think they, 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 they get off to a hot start. I think they take an early lead in the division and they might not look back. Um, I think you're right with the Colts. They don't really have any holes. Um, I mean, they've just been built pretty well the last few years and, now having Philip Rivers, an actual real, you know, quarterback uh, with some pedigree behind him uh, under center, you know, and maybe what is his last year, maybe two years of physical relevance, um, it could really, really put a dent in the Texans' hopes to, you know, make the second wild cards. I mean, I remember seeing somewhere earlier in the offseason from some, one of the one of the local outlets where it was like the best thing to happen to the Texans this offseason was the creation of an additional season. Yeah, I think Mike Meltzer said that, yeah. And yes. it was like, yeah, and that's it really was the best offseason move they had this year. Right, absolutely, because the AFC South has gotten more competitive, and while it seems like everybody has taken a step forward, and shoot, I'm excited to see what Jonathan Taylor does. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm really interested to see what happens there. Um, with everybody seemingly taking a step forward for the exception of Jacksonville, it seems like we've relatively been on the treadmill, and maybe even gone a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it'll be really interesting to see. It's going to be a dogfight this year in the division. And I, I can't remember recently a, a time where it's been this even keeled um, in the AFC South. It, it's been a long time since, since it's been like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think last year is pretty even, you know, it's easy to forget the Colts were four and two and then Brissett got hurt and then Hoyer came in. They lost to Pittsburgh. They lost to, um, they lost to the Miami Dolphins, and Brissett came back and was bad, and the Titans, you know, kicked the hell out of them. Um, but, I, yeah, I think I think all three of those teams can win the division. It wouldn't surprise me if either one of them does, but I do think Tennessee, 
does now. And also, so Tennessee starts the year at Denver, Jacksonville, then at Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Houston. And then Houston starts off at Kansas City, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Minnesota. And uh, so like the Texans do have a much tougher beginning schedule than what Tennessee has this year, too. So I do think Tennessee probably starts off fast. And uh, unlike Houston, who has like it does look like Houston's starting like 0-2 in the face right now by playing their two toughest games in that spot. But in the end, it doesn't matter, as we've seen whenever Houston started 0-4 and you know, say Bill O'Brien's job made the playoffs anyways in 2018 as well. Um, but yeah, so that will be our show for today. I hope you have a great Labor Day weekend. We'll have another show sometime this week where we'll do NFL predictions. And then I'm going to try to do, I will do, I will do a Houston, Kansas city, uh, week one preview, maybe on Tuesday or Wednesday for Thursday. And, uh, it's gonna be a lot of writing and reading between now and then, but it's fun. And I'm very happy that there's gonna be NFL season, whatever it looks like and however shape it may take and however long it lasts as well too. And uh, we'll actually be able to watch some you know, really great football starting with this Thursday. Right. It'll be exciting. I mean, just seeing how the season shakes out under the current circumstances, it'll be awesome. Yeah. So until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bell Red Radio. And thank you for being on this morning, Carlos. It was fun talking to you this Sunday before we you know, go scatter and try to enjoy these next two days before uh, we go back to work and go back to school and, and then hunker down to just watch football and drink group beer you know no problem counting down the days to thursday